Hello, everyone. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. It's good to see you. Uh, we have an important conversation today about the future of law. We all know and we're all feeling how the practice of law is changing. We know it's going in the um, direction of change. Yes, it has something to do with technology, but yes, it has to do with a lot more than that. Uh, it has a lot to do also with sort of the political climate and, and, and changes economically and the pandemics and all kinds of things. And this has been going on for a while. And so the future of law is being actively built and it is built by all of us collectively and individually every day. And so I wanted to explore this conversation about sort of the future of law, how we make it sustainable and how we make it more inclusive and where there is a room for everyone. Um, and I was looking for a, a great person to have conversation with and I finally found one. Um, and uh, I will let Jay Kim introduce herself. Hi, thanks for having me here. I am, I guess, one of the experts on the integrative law movement. I'm the CEO of Cutting Edge Law. I've written some books for the American Bar Association and a bunch of other things for other people. And I'm one of the founders of the Cutting of the Conscious Contracts Movement. Oh, I just love how you just said that. You know, just a few books for ABA. And <laughs> there's a few little things here and there. What books have you written? And, um, and what inspired you to write them? I would love to for you to give maybe a slightly more detailed answer to that. <laughs> So the first book uh, that was published by the American Bar Association was Lawyers as Peacemakers, Practicing Holistic Problem-Solving Law. And it was inspired by a journey I was on. I, in 2008, I gave up my house, I gave up my office, and I started interviewing lawyers who were practicing law in different ways and sort of the pioneers of the movement, um, I thought at the time. And I had about 50 videos up on YouTube, which is really new. You know, like uh, back in uh, the early 2000s, we didn't have live streams. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of video because we still had dial-up. And so I put all of these um, videos on the web. I got a call from the American Bar Association from the ed an editor, uh, Aaron Nevius, who said, um, you know, we knew law was changing and we kind of thought it was going in this direction, but we didn't know how much and what you've collected here with these um, videos is just really amazing. Would you be willing to write a book? The work inspired me. The book was actually a surprise. I actually, a few days before I got the invitation, I, a friend said, you know, you ought to talk to the American Bar Association about this. And I said, the ABA isn't ready for this. And then um, I was proven wrong. So Lawyers as Peacemakers was first. And then a few years later, um, Aaron came back to me and said, uh, are you ready for another book? And I said, yeah, because this is really a global movement. And I wrote Lawyers as Changemakers, the global integrative law movement. So those are the two main ones. I've written a lot of chapters um, for others. And I'm working on uh, a book with uh, some colleagues now called um, Trauma-Informed Law. Wow. So many great things. Um, and so it sounds like uh, in those two books and maybe the third book and, and other chapters, there is sort of the outline of kind of your core beliefs about integrative movement, law movement. What What is it and kind of what is your point of view there? Well, the first book is really about there's something happening. 
we don't know what to call it. Um, people were, you know, using words like restorative and collaborative and conscious and holistic. And so I actually, in the first book, I said, I'm not going to name this thing because I'm, it's not my job. And, um, and so then a group of us got together. There were about uh, 30 leaders from all of the different movements that existed at the time. We got together and uh, people said, I think we do need a name. And they came up with the name of the integrative, integrative law movement. And so I, um, um, I, saw, I started using that name. And then when I wrote the second book, I actually decided to do a survey of what other people thought. I mean, I, I'm more of an observer and a showcaser of the movement. I'm, I'm not the inventor. The inventors are hundreds of people around the world who have um, had shifts in their ways of being and consciousness and uh, the way they practice law. And so I wrote about them. And uh, during that, uh, during the research for that book, I actually came up with four pillars that I think represent the movement. So one is that lawyers, integrative lawyers are reflective. Now that may show up as contemplative practices, which we know are very popular in the law right now. It might show up as going to therapy. Um, it might uh, show up as writing a memoir, yeah, but starting to really be reflective. And I think that's spurred on by the idea that there's something wrong with me like a lot of lawyers think there's something wrong with them with them because uh, they're uh, they're bumping up against a culture that doesn't fit them. <laughs> we definitely see a lot of that on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Uh, where we see lawyers who have you know I'm I'm a good example of that. You know, when you close your eyes and imagine your lawyer, you're probably not thinking of a girl named Olga. I, I you know <laughs> I, I imagine you whatever night, legal nightmare, whether it's taxes or criminal, whatever, whatever your flavor of nightmare is, you know, close your eyes, who comes to your rescue, it's probably not going to be a girl named Olga. Um, and, you know, if your vision of good legal help comes from news or Hollywood. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and there is sort of a feeling, how come I don't fit in? And I think it kind of starts, and you see a lot of it during pandemic um, among lawyers to sort of how do we include everyone so that when people close their eyes and imagine their nightmare, their rescue actually looks like what profession is and feels like one. Um, there's three more pillars. We'd love to know what they are. So the second one, um, it's sort of each one grows from the others. So the second one is really starting to look at law from a values or purpose perspective. And um, that sort of their two levels we can look at. We look at the system level or we can look at the individual level. So I'm going to talk about this on the individual level. So in the individual level, the lawyer says, well, wait a minute. So, you know, I am not the person who um, fits into this system. Who am I? And what's really important to me? And uh, sort of what's my purpose in being a lawyer or my purpose in being uh, in the world? And, and what are my values that I want to live from? And that is a conversation that starts moving people in a, um, in a direction of designing something different for themselves and for their clients. So that's the second pillar. Okay. Okay. And so um, what in, in that second pillar, in that stage, when you say designing something for themselves or for their clients, what are the examples of, of like, like what, what designs are we talking about? Well, for example, um, back in 1991, Stuart Webb 
uh, decided he couldn't practice law in the old way. He had been studying psychology. He'd been a family lawyer. He had um, had enemies among other lawyers. He had, um, you know, been breaking up families. And so Stu said there must be a better way. There's something that was a better fit for him and for what was important to him. And he created collaborative law. And collaborative law now is in you know tens of thousands of lawyers around the world. I don't even know what it is now. You know, dozens of countries now offer collaborative law. And it started from Stu thinking there must be a better way for me. And he ended up creating a better way for divorce in general. Very interesting, very powerful. Um, and I, 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 there's quite a few things in divorce, especially because it's so confrontational, because it's so important for the family and, you know, the kids and everybody involved. Um, so what are the, the, the three and four? So um, three and four, I sometimes do them in different orders. <laughs> um, I must say that um, what happens is um, that there's a shift in consciousness. That's, and I'm going to combine the two. The shift in consciousness starts having people realize uh, the systemic uh, impact of their work. So um, I, I talk about um, this movement being arbingers of the new consciousness and bringing in a new awareness of, um, of interconnectedness. And, uh, and so that's the systems thinking part is really about that interconnectedness that idea that um, that what I do makes a difference to other people and that it's not just about me. You mentioned there, you, you, you have a number of terms and I do plan to pursue many of them, but the audience, if you have questions, definitely you know, call us out um, and, and, and I will follow up. Um, you mentioned the term collaborative law, very interesting. And you mentioned the work of Stu. Um, maybe briefly, tell us well, what is collaborative law? And, and what, you know, if, you, if there is a framework or, or, or resources where you would send people to kind of learn more. People who live in the systems where there are solicitors and barristers are going to recognize this as having been influenced by them. But in the United States, we don't have such a thing. In collaborative law, the clients come to specially trained lawyers and those lawyers sign a contract with the client saying they're not going to court. And they bring in neutral um helpers who may be financial advisors or they may be uh, you know, child experts or coaches um, to help them with their emotional issues. And those people are part of the team to help resolve what needs to be resolved so that the people can go forward. I'll tell a story in real life because I, I practiced this back in the 90s. I had a client who came to me and said, my daughter's getting married in a year, but we really need to get this divorce done. And uh, my goal is I want to be able to dance with my ex at her wedding. So whatever else happens here, we can uh, divide the property. And it was a substantial estate, uh, uh, you know, uh, but we need to keep our relationship uh, clean from, uh, from nastiness. That's a very specific goal. I want to be able as possible for a second. That's a very evolved individual. I want to not just have a civil relationship for the sake of our kids. I want to be able to dance with him. Okay, great. That sounds yeah. good. <laughs> well, and in fact, when I was practicing, I had my clients create some vision. So another client uh, who had small children who played sports said, I want my son to be able to uh, make a goal 
and to look up into the bleachers and see us sitting together. Because when he is happy and he's made a goal, I want to make sure that he knows we're both here cheering for him and that he doesn't have to uh, worry about, I'm going to look this way, I'm going to look that way. Oh, that so, I love that. That's, uh, and that's, I guess, while really doing what it's supposed to, serving the needs of, 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 of the public. But yes, go on. Don't let me interrupt you. <laughs> my admirations. So, so collaborative law actually trains lawyers to do this instead of that other thing that we see on all of the movies. And, you know, um, you know, there's so many people I run into that, you know, they've been divorced for 20 years and they still can't like go visit the grandchild at the same time. Or, you know, there's just still animosity. And sometimes the animosity wasn't from the marriage, it was from the divorce and how nasty it was. And so collaborative law says, we're not going to be nasty. This is a family issue. We're going to give the power to the family and we're going to provide them with a support structure that helps them make decisions that will work for the family. Um, and then we take that to court and we get it approved by a judge. So they, they are still divorced. But, uh, you know, my in my collaborative practice, very often at the end, they would stand up and hug each other. I mean, I have stories that I just I, I can still cry at, you know, just the, how moved I was. You know, people who bring champagne to the last meeting to to thank each other and to toast each other to say, you know, thank you for everything you did to make this divorce less adversarial, less nasty. Oh, I, I, I love it. Um, so that, that, that's, see, and, and that sort of captures a few of the things from integrative law in general. So collaborative law is one model, you know, and, and, it, uh, and it's in family law, but every area of law has people who are, who are doing that kind of work that, you know, are doing like more, um, heart centered, if you want to say it that way, or heart centered. I love it. Let's pause on that term. Everyone here, heart centered law. I love that. Okay. And, you know, and so, so it, we, and we integrate other people, we integrate, uh, you know, um, mind, body, and soul, you know, there's a lot of integration uh, that uh, is buried in the name integrative law. Very interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the system we have today. And then some of you, I read some of your writing, you talk about the collapse and how this, the system is not working. Tell us more about how you think about where we are today. I read a lot of Ma Margaret Wheatley, who is a systems change theorist, and a, she's more, much more of, um, of a historian than I am. And so she can track back the collapse of society for a long, you know, a long way, and a, you know, point to a lot of historical examples, which um, totally escape my memory, but they make sense when I read them. And um, and so the idea is that when a system is dying and all systems do have a, an arc of um, creation, um, a, a peak and then uh, a decline, when a system is dying, what happens is that people who don't um, don't work well in the system. start. I, I always see it's like kind of falling out. It's like if there's an arc, they're kind of like raining out of that arc and they're <laughs> falling into a new place. And so people like Stu Webb, uh, who uh, is a great example of somebody who said, this isn't working for me and I'm going to create something else. 
So over the last 20 or 30 years that I've been observing this movement, I've been seeing more and more people who are creating their own models. So um, as I've traveled around the world, I've met people who've said, you know, it just didn't work for me. And I started creating something new for myself. And uh, it's kind of interesting because, uh, for example, uh, I know that uh, you and your listeners have been looking at the legal design movement. Um, the common contracts uh, kind of simultaneously emerged in South Africa and Australia. And, uh, and then they've been popping up in other places with people who are not actually connected to the people who, um, to who I know as the founders of that. And so there's this idea that we, we don't fit, so we're going to f- create something else. This sort of the first stage. And so there are all these people out there. Then they start getting connected to each other. And I've really seen that as part of my role is connecting them so that they can start building something. So I think this is the new legal system, the new legal system that doesn't have a lot of the baked in dysfunction of the old system. uh, It's not designed to be traumatic. It's not designed to be racist and sexist and all of the things that are part of the old system. So the new system uh, is sort of in that seed stage, but I'm really excited about what I'm observing as people are um, are creating new ways and bringing values um, that I that I share uh, into being. Very interesting. So that's a big idea and a big, <laughs> it's big everyone. Um, so I'm I'm a, I'm a slightly you know I'm not easily intimidated, but I am a little intimidated. So. Oh, good. <laughs> it is such a big idea to try to convey. I, I've, I've been a little nervous about trying to convey it uh, in um, in twenty to thirty minutes. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure. No I mean, pressure. <laughs> just talk about the. Uh, I'll give you extra time. We'll go with forty minutes. <laughs> I'll be generous today. Forty minutes. All right. It is. Um, but the um. So where do you think all of this is going? You know, the seeds are there. There are sort of the gang of misfits around the globe. Uh, where this gang of misfits is going? Uh, it feels like there are the people who are authoritarian and dominating and controlling uh, that are barreling along on one side. And they kind of have that old system on their side sometimes. And then we have all of these people that are saying, no, that's not the way, you know, like that, that is not the system, the world that I want to live in that are creating something, um, you know, coming from this other direction. I am putting my energy in the new system and the new ways of being and, um, and trying to nurture what's going on there and, you know, be of support in any way I can. Uh, and, uh, and just hoping that we're going to win the race because, um, you know, there, there's so many f- things that are, uh, that are polarized right now, the environment and, uh, it, you know, uh, political unrests, you know, of all kinds. Uh, if we have, um, if we have some al- alternatives and some peacemakers who are involved in that, um, I think we have a better chance of survival. If we are expecting this change and we expect this change to be global, um, do we expect that, you know, law would be not just really limited to jurisdictions, the borders, so to speak, but have legal proceedings that are across the globe 
that flow much more freely. We're in the realm of, by the way, of crystal ball at this point. So, so <laughs> it's already happening. You know, in the conscious contracts work that I do, we're already doing cross-jurisdictional work because we're not designing contracts for the court. We're designing contracts for the parties. And so, so we are going cross-border. And um, we have um, people who are, uh, you know, like in five different countries who are trying to figure out, how do I create a contract? And we just, we work with them and, um, and help them actually design that thing which they want. You know, like, who are you? and Why are you doing this? And how are you going to resolve conflict? And uh, what are the um, action plan elements of your contract? That's the conscious contract. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter where you are. Those kinds of things are relational. And, and if you never have to go to court, then you don't have to worry about jurisdiction. So we build it in there so that they don't have to go to court. Okay, you said many things that we're going to talk about because everyone knows <laughs> that I love contracts. You now mentioned <laughs> contracts specifically a few times. I get it. We're going to talk about it. We are not going to miss this conversation. Um, designing contracts, and I wrote it down. I, I write very few things down because I have a pretty good audible and, and, and uh, written memory. But I wrote this down because it, it, it really um, had an effect on me. Designing the contract not for the court but for the parties. Whoa, yes. let's talk about that. Well, that, that actually uh, comes from the proactive law movement. And Helena Hapio um, said something pretty much the same. She, uh, she's a Finnish contracts expert. Um, and the idea is that lawyers have been writing contracts to impress some judge. Or I, you know, I, I have this horror story of talking to a lawyer who said, it's my job to be as vague and unclear in the contract as possible. So when they have an argument, I can argue anything I want. Um, so, so that's sort of been the old paradigm of, you know, writing in language that nobody can understand and being vague and, um, and um, you know, their master, you know, mystery words in there that only a lawyer. <laughs> mystery words in there. I love that. Mystery yeah, you words. Know, <laughs> you know, only a lawyer will understand this and, and maybe the lawyers don't even agree. And so now we have to go to a judge. We have to argue to the judge and then we have to appeal it to Listen another. Listen, Greek and Greek monks have to interpret the writing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And so, so that's not for users. That's to entertain the lawyers and, and to keep the system moving. Conscious contracts actually start with the relationship and they are there to support and, uh, and further the relationship. So we start in the place where uh, a lot of people would say um, it's not even relevant and we say it's, it's what is exactly relevant. And that's who are you and why are you doing this? Like, um, like we do mission, vision, values with our clients. We have them uh, talk about why they chose each other. We have them um, share their dreams for the contract and their fears for the contract. And um, at that point, they're pretty much in love with each other or they've decided, wow, this is not gonna work. We really don't um, even live in the same universe. So m many of my clients thank me when their deals go bad because they feel like I've saved them. Uh, I, I love, I love the start, who you are and what's your dream. I mean, isn't it like 
like that should be a requirement for any relationship. Like seriously, like if we, if, if there is no Venn diagram intersection for you and I, why are we here? Why do it? Why do it? It's, and we have, we have one um, recent client that uh, there were um, two Pakistani boys grew up together and then they decided to get in business with a tech company um, in their well into adulthood. And we did this process with them and they said, oh my gosh, we've learned so much about each other. We've been lifelong friends and we still learned a lot. And, um, and the contract that had been kind of languishing for months and months came together in just a few weeks because they had they got that clarity and they and and they remembered why why they wanted to do this with each other so well, it, it seems like when you're writing a book once you have an outline writing is an easy part and with the contract once you actually have a shared dream papering it up is a logical thing <laughs> it is a logical thing but then the other thing that's logical that happens um, next in the conscious contract model is that we have uh, a conversation about, okay, so now you're in this bubble of love. You know that um, you want to work together and you know how you want it to feel and all that kind of stuff, but you're human and humans get into conflict. We're living in the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world where everything you know could change in a, in a minute. And so we need to be able to respond to that so how are we going to create our own system for addressing change and engaging disagreement? And we have conversations about how did you do that in your family of origin? Uh, you know, what, what, what happens? Like if I'm, if I'm upset, what do I look like? How do you know I'm upset with you? I'm not a person that's going to yell at you. I'm just going to go quiet and I'm going to withdraw so that I have a chance to think about it. But um, and that that's not such a bad thing until I've been gone too long. And then I'm in my head and my head is an ugly place. It's a very bad neighborhood. Ooh, and I, so, I, so we have to, I mean, it's it's not like, oh, you know, we're going to go to mediation. It's like, how do you do conflict and how do we engage with that? So for me, um, if I've been quiet for a little while, the question to ask me is, Kim, are you busy? <laughs> Or are you are you angry? Busy happens over here. And so I can get quiet because I'm busy and doing something else, or I can be angry. And so <laughs> so I actually give that key to the person in the contract and say, uh, the key here is um, how how to engage with me if you think I'm upset. And this is what it looks like. Oh, I love so many things about it. I mean, let's start with the one thing I really love is, um, you know, we never talk about contracts as a bubble of love. But I mean, in the end, we get together to create something together of value to the rest of the world. So, you know, while not the language we use in our daily business conversations, actually kind of makes sense. Um, actually makes a lot of sense. Um, especially when you are looking for the intersection of two dreams and how that commercial opportunity would be furthered. I also love the, this idea of, hey, you and I may be resolving conflicts in a different way. And maybe finding that intersection where the two of us can, can be is something we should know before we embark on this bubble of love. That is a powerful idea. Well, and um, 
And you don't want some outsider, arbitrator, judge, or whatever, trying to navigate that and making you all upset and wasting resources and all of that. And so, uh, so this uh, we call it the ACED for short, addressing change, engaging disagreement. This ACED actually has a prerequisite that you have to go through this before you can go to court. Let's slow down. AC ACED. Addressing change, engaging disagreement. Oh, everybody got that? I love it. This, this, this is great. And so would that be a framework in which you use contract? Or like, how, where do you yeah, use that? Yeah, yeah. I love frameworks because I think model thinking and framework thinking really make us you know, more involved individuals and professionals. Yeah. So tell me, how would you use that? Well, you would use that um, when, um, when you would say... You'd be late for meetings um, two or three times, and I would say, something going on over there, Olga? And you would say, um, well, I don't know. I said, well, why don't we have um, a conversation? We we always uh, have people create it like a phrase. Like um, uh, one, The phrase I love is uh, when somebody says, uh, there's a disturbance in the force. Let's sit down and talk about it. Um, or, you know, something... Uh, uh, there's a disturbance in the forest. <laughs> I had to think about it. That, that, that has a little bit of a like adventure sci-fi going on there. Yeah, yeah. Or 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 something's not feeling right. I don't feel like we're completely on the same page. Can we just go out for coffee? You know, like like that. That's sort of the first level of this engaging um, disagreement and addressing change. And um, and it and it interrupts conflict before it gets to the stage where uh, you know I have all these horror stories of um, of uh, clients and um, clients that belong to friends of ours that uh, you know somebody's been in business for ten years and they come in and there's a lawsuit on their desk and it's their partner that has never expressed unhappiness but has been unhappy for ten years and finally had the you know had all that they could take. We're gonna say there's something up and either one of us can say it. There's something something that doesn't feel right. Is it something going on with you? Is it something going on with me? Is it something in the relationship? And that's what the ACED does. It's, you know, most contracts are uh, thrown in a drawer. The only time you look at them is when you're upset. You pull it out and you see, is there a weapon in here for me? But the, the conscious contracts model actually creates a contract that is more of an operating agreement, a constitution. It's, you know, like there are reviews in there of, okay, how is this working for us? You know, not like, you know, if you're a startup, you may have one contract while you're, uh, you know, kind of getting things going. And then when the first big money comes in, you need to have another contract because the dynamics are changing. Oh, and, um, and so you actually put those reviews in there. I love it. Um, our contracts create weapons. Oh, I don't know. I never thought of myself as weapon creator, um, but I can I can definitely see that that's the framework actually helping folks get back to the bubble of love and why yeah. they got it in the first place together. Maybe far more useful, uh, you know, to win collectively, right? Because weapons allow you to win individually, but if you want to win as a team, you need something else. And that something else is the tools. I think that's what you're talking about. And if you could have produced the widgets or gone somewhere or, you know, whatever the contract's about, if you could have done that alone, 
um, then you would have done it alone. And so, so this relationship actually is what allows you to have your dreams, to manifest your dreams. And so if you're, if you're spending all of your energy fighting with this person, you're not getting there. So let's, let's resolve it as soon as it starts bubbling up. So you're actually in the worst position, frankly, right? Because you one cannot do it alone, and now you're doing it alone, plus you're fighting the battle. So you're actually arguably worse off than you were even thinking about the bubble of love and thinking of how one plus one could be greater than two. Yeah, I, I only heard part of what you said, but yes, I think I think you know, like like if if you are by yourself in that lonely place, you're having to hire different things done, then that's a complication. If you're in the bubble of love with somebody who is going the same place you are, um, then um, then everybody is working well together. Uh, we're kind of coming to the end. I have a few questions. I'm gonna maybe maybe shift gears. I'm reluctant because I have so many questions. But <laughs> maybe, um, question one, what are other sort of ways to practice integrative law or other examples that you can provide, Kim? Well, if you were a, a criminal in the criminal law area um, and, um, and sort of started looking for new models, you might find restorative justice, which is about healing the harm of crime so that instead of just putting people in jail, they're actually looking for a way to heal the victim and the perpetrator. And I use that term, even though in restorative justice, uh, it's not a popular term, but it's one that people understand here. Um, it might be um, that you find uh, the problem solving court model, which uh, started in the drug court area. Um, so that um, somebody who has a drug problem doesn't go to jail, they actually get rehabilitation and, um, and uh, you know, reintegration into society. Um, if you are in the wills and estates area, you might find uh, the idea of learning more about dying. Uh, my friend in uh, South Africa, Rhiannon Thomas, has become sort of an expert on dying and she works with a, a death doula who helps people prepare for their death and as and part of that to create their estate plan. Because okay. uh, most of the time people are afraid to talk about their death. And so, uh, I mean, we're all going to do it. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> well, Let's end on a bright note, but yes, we're all going to do that. <laughs> we're all going to do that. <laughs> Maybe not today, though. Let's take well, not, today. not today. Let's go back to the bubble of love today. <laughs> let's go back to the bubble of love. Yes. So, so um, I'll, I'll share this one for um, – the conscious contracts area, um, they've modified it a little bit, but they're using it for using the model um, plus to, to work with refugees who need homes um, and people who have empty houses who have been reluctant to, uh, to let other people live in their houses. And so they've used this model to have the conversation so that they actually create a relationship um, and, um, and fill the empty homes and, and provide homes for people who have been displaced. 
I love this emphasis on the relationship. I think in the business context, relationship is everything. I think it's relationship is everything in the personal context as well, and definitely in business context as well. And so I love this going back to the the bubble of love in the relationship in and the relationship in in the business context. I do think that we often, as we paper things, forget why we got together in the first place, and I think it's very important. Um, you have been what's now called digital nomad. For quite a while, you were it before it was cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so tell, tell Kim, tell, tell me kind of your, you know, tip or kind of uh, how you got there, um, and um, and how it is satisfying to see it become a thing in your lifetime. Well, I, I started. Uh, I call it collecting lawyers who were doing this integrative law, what we now call integrative law, uh, back in the nineties. And I created a whole community of people um, on the internet as the internet developed. And I was, um, I was going to a lot of conferences and I was hearing at a restorative justice conference that they're talking about the same thing that they're talking about at the collaborative law conference or they're, um, at an earth law gathering. And they're all talking about the same kinds of topics. And I thought these people need to be talking to each other. <laughs> And um, so, I know, it's like a novel idea. They should talk. <laughs> <laughs> they should talk. And, um, and so that's where I um, kind of got into the role of the connector. And I decided that in all these conferences that I was going to, I should videotape. And, um, you know, like you know, these amazing people were saying such amazing things. And it seemed so selfish that only, you know, 100 people at the conference would hear them. And so I um, bought a video camera and soon discovered I was terrible at um, videography. Um, so I, I came across, um, a videographer who was, uh, looking for a new project. And, um, I, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, we'd been moving from dial up to, um, to faster internet and video was new on the web. And we decided we were going to videotape these people. We were going to go around the country at that point, And we were going to videotape them and put them on the web. And, um, uh, so to do that, you know, it kind of required me to travel all the time. And um, in 2007, I tried to do it while I still had a house, but I had a house and a law practice that were like screaming every time I left. Uh, <laughs> then I, I came back and, you know, there was a ton of work to do. And, um, and so I just got rid of the house and I got rid of the office and I went on the road and I thought I'd be gone for about, you know, three months, six months at the most. And, um, I, uh, you know, started driving around and uh, at the end of three months when I was supposed to go back, I thought, well, you know, I could go north or I can go west or east and uh, I think I'll go north. And so I continued on my journey. And so um, I did that for 12 years. Um, when I wrote my first book, I went from being the weirdest lawyer in the world to mainstream and started getting international invitations. And um, so I ended up in... Uh, Australia is my first stop and South Africa soon after and then to Europe. And uh, yeah, I kept adding a country or a region every year until I'd gone to all the inhabited continents and, uh, and finding people and, and you know, teaching uh, this model and, uh, you know, connecting, I had a lot of, I drank a lot of tea. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then in 2020, this pandemic came along and um, I got, um, I got stuck in one place. I had spent the holidays with my family in Florida. And so that's where I am. 
waiting for international travel to open back up. So, uh, you know, depending on how things go in the future, I've either been a digital nomad uh, since 2008, and I will, and I'm just stationary for a little while, or I was a d- digital nomad for 12 years. And as you say, there was not a term digital nomad when I started. I was just weird. I was just some high end homeless person. <laughs> well, you know, you know, um, it's it's in the eye of a beholder, right? Entrepreneur versus uh, unemployed really is just the same term yeah. <laughs> describing the same phenomenon. Uh, just really will be judged in retrospect depending on the success. Um, Kim, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, you, you're enlightened views about the future of law and relationships. And I, I, I just love the term bubble of love. I'm going to be now using it as a serious business term um, in, in, in all contracts adventure. Um, but seriously, thank you so much. I, I really love the way you think about law the, and, and, and contracts specifically. Um, what is maybe the last thing you want the viewers to 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 kind of live with and as they go on with their daily life, their practice of law, their relationship with law, what is the one thing you want to make sure that they get out from this conversation? I think that I want them to know that the way we're trained in law school is in a very narrow law practice. And, um, and it pretty much is not one size fits anybody, but there are a lot of different options out there that will fit them. And that it's really possible to practice law in a way that aligns with who you are, your values, um, and to make a big difference in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you, listeners, viewers, audience, for being with us, uh, for coming in and out, for being engaged, for asking questions. Thank you for nominating Jay Kim to be here. That's how I got to know Jay Kim and her work. It's an amazing body of work. I highly recommend her books. She is all over the Internet. She, she, she is very prolific. If you try to find her, you will be successful. So definitely <laughs> go out there and look for for J. Kim. I, I highly recommend it. Um, personally, that term bubble of love is my favorite. I, I love that the world of law is going to an inclusive place for everyone and that there are many ways to practice law that is consistent with who we are and what our clients want. Uh, with that thought, if you have any suggestions of anybody else I should interview about the future of law, how we can practice it better, especially in the corporate setting, especially in the setting of in-house lawyers, definitely let me know. I am very active on LinkedIn. I'm very uh, responsive on my DM. And I'm all ears. And I look forward to co-creating this future of law together that is much more inclusive and building the bubble of love. Thank you so much. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye, everyone.